Hello, friends, and welcome to this podcast from the radio program Farm and Fiddle. I guess we can call this the second in a series for 2024. This year, so many things are happening that affect the rural life that we enjoy so much here in mid-Missouri. And in February, Farm and Fiddle likes to talk to people who are active, working in policies coming our way. This podcast features a conversation with Susan Burns, a founder of Mid-Missouri Landowners Alliance, an organization working to regulate the solar industry as it enters rural communities. This conversation aired on February 21st, then stayed on the web for a couple of weeks at kopn.org, and I feel that it needs a longer life. Other interviews in this February series include James Owen of Renew Missouri, and we'll have a conversation with Melissa Vatterot of Missouri Coalition for the Environment, who works on water issues, and Tim Gibbons of Missouri Rural Crisis Center, talking about policies affecting farmers who want to stay on the land. So this conversation is with Susan Burns, and here goes. Thanks for listening. Well, Susan Burns, I'm so glad we're getting a chance to talk. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. I guess we should just start with sort of a little context, like where you are, who you are, sort of the beginning of the beginning here. Okay. All right. Well, my name is Susan Burns. I live in Callaway County. I live on a century farm. Hmm. Uh, my grandchildren, who also live here on the farm, uh, are seventh generation on, on this farm. So <laughs> we have a long history here. And um, yeah, this is home. It, no place else will ever be home. I uh, live in the house where I came from the hospital uh, when I was born. So, um, you know, I'm still here. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't go anywhere else. And so we are fighting solar, uh, big commercial solar mm-hmm. uh, companies that are coming into our county. Um, almost all of them are in uh, North Callaway. Um, we've got uh, a total of 11,000 acres. And uh, there, 2,000 of them are owned by Ameren uh, around the nuclear plant. Um, and they're going to put solar there. And then we have another 9,500 approximately uh, from three different companies. We're fighting that. The reason that I'm fighting is because 2,300 acres of those are going to be across the road for me, less than 100 feet from my house and less than 100 feet from my son's house, which is on the north side of my farm. So two sides of my farm will be uh, covered by solar. And, um, you know, 100 feet away is nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so every morning from, you know, sunrise until about 11 o'clock, those 2,300 acres of panels will be pointed at me. So I'm fighting because I don't have any choice. Um, mm-hmm. you know, somebody asked my son one time why he was fighting. And he said, because someone had to stand up. Huh? So that's, that's why we're in it. So, well, uh, lots, a- lots of people being affected, many people, uh, being affected. We have. Um, approximately 20 landowners, and we have um, at least at least 150 homes mm. uh, and adjoining properties that are going to be affected. I'm part of an organization that's called um, Mid-Missouri Landowners Alliance. It's a nonprofit LLC that we created. Mid-Missouri Landowners Alliance is a group of people fighting solar or trying to regulate it some way. And so there's no charge to join it. There are no membership fees. Um, we have, you know, we ask for donations occasionally, but, you know, we don't, 
we don't require anybody to have money. It's a way for us to get their information and to know that they're interested in doing something. And what it does is puts them on an email list. So if there is a bill that needs to be supported or opposed, or if there is uh, some kind of discussion going on or an event, sometimes uh, we, we have had um, you know protests at different places. So I can let them know about those kinds of things in case they can attend or come testify in, in the Senate. Uh, or the House of Representatives at a committee meeting, or um, if I need them to write to their senators or representatives about an issue. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the kind of emails that I would send out. It's, this is what you can do this week. So um, we we are not opposed uh, to uh, solar on roofs. In fact, we like solar on roofs. That's great if that's you know because it's it's not taking up land. It's not bothering their neighbors. It's up on the roof. It's, you know, so and, and of course, industrial complexes, if they put it on their on their roofs, that's wonderful. They're not having very good success with that because they catch on fire. Uh, so that's that's not too good. But so do the solar uh, operations out here in the country catch on fire. So uh, fire is a definite hazard. Um, but our fight is basically on this big commercial solar. So and community solar is solar that is built by the community for the community. Um, the 94 acre uh, facility that they have in Columbia was built by Columbia for Columbia. I got no problem in that. And um, so community solar isn't really the issue that we're fighting. We're fighting losing the farmland because we don't believe it will ever, ever be able to be put back into farmland mm. based on our research. Um, and we should mention that that Columbia facility is the one that's on I-70. It's um, east yeah. of Columbia, about um, a mile or two, maybe more than mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Of, uh, right on the highway. You can see it when you go by the Lake of the Woods exit. Lake of the Woods exit. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So people can go and see what these facilities look like. And that one is that one is really very, very well maintained. You are listening to Farm and Fiddle. This is an interview with Susan Burns of Mid-Missouri Landowners Alliance. They are fighting the big solar farms that are coming into Mid-Missouri. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they are putting these solar companies in here and then they're moving the electricity. So they're covering the Midwest in order to accommodate the big cities in the East. Um, so they, they need... Uh, big areas of flat treeless land. Mm -hmm. So they've been working in Kansas, but Kansas has now passed a resolution. The Republicans who are, have a super uh, majority in this, in their legislature have passed a resolution that they will no longer approve any wind or solar to come into their, to their state. Wow. And so that's pushing them other places uh, to Oklahoma, to Missouri. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the especially the wind is is really beginning to look here because they are pretty sure they can't get there. So that's that's what's happening. And um, we get no money from the solar um, because they don't live here. They don't spend money here. Um, you know, they take all of their money out and they take all of the electricity out. So we get nothing hmm. except a big industrial area. So what's the timeline on this? Is, is it imminent or? Um, the uh, the Ranger Power has projected that they will start next fall. Now, they've been here oh, more than five years, leasing and 
and whatever, but we didn't know about them until uh, about two years ago. Um, so they were leasing in secret, which is the way the solar operates. Um, they have a non-disclosure statement in their lease when they sign with the landowner that says that the landowner cannot uh, talk about this lease to anybody outside their immediate family. And we've seen the lease. It's in print. It's there. And all the leases are pretty standard. Um, so, uh, you know, they're in there for that reason. And so for the first three years, we didn't know anything about this. And then I had a really good friend who leased his land and then I think had um, leaser's remorse mm. and uh, came and told me that he had done this. And so then my son and I immediately started researching and we located Ranger Power, which isn't the facility that we're facing, but, um, you know, we realized that it was going on. And we went to the recorder's office and, you know, did some searches and found leases. And so we realized how big it was. And that's what started the fight. It's, it's too much, too fast. Um, every every year they come out with a new kind of solar panel that's better, more efficient, safer, you know, so, I mean, it's like on the cutting edge. So to cover 11,000 acres with solar panels that really will be um, worthless in three years um, seems crazy. And uh, the the average amount of electricity that a solar will produce is what they call nameplate capacity. So when they build one, they'll put a nameplate on it of, say, 350 megawatts. That's what Ranger Power is saying that their facility will produce. Um, what that is, is is if a solar plant would run the same as a nuclear plant 24 seven and produce energy on a consistent basis. But solar does not produce uh, optimally, um, except in the summer when it's sunny. Um, I have a chart that won't do us any good on a radio show, but it shows um, you know, the optimum production uh, of solar about three hours a day in the summer. And then it, it's like a bell curve. Um, and then it falls down to about 20% production uh, in the summer when it's cloudy or in the winter when it's sunny. And then it's flat in the winter when it's cold. So what the average solar will produce is um, and and uh, this comes from uh, a study that was done on the Columbia Community Solar Facility, which is a 94-acre facility, um, and uh, that one last year produced at 25 percent. The land that they're taking is land that we can grow twice as much stuff on right now. So they're taking prime land, and that's what our biggest fight is: um, is that we're doing that. February is kind of our month of activism on farm and fiddle. We like to just talk to people who are activists in their communities like you. And I just wonder if there are certain bills you're watching that we can alert people about, or you could tell us a little bit about those. Well, the, the, best, the best way that they can get that information, because there's about 20 bills that we're looking at. So if I gave you, you all of those there, <laughs> I know. Know, nobody's going to have time to write those all down. There are two that deal with solar taxation. Um, one, uh, one of those that deals with the solar taxation also requires a, a limitation of 2% uh, of farmland be allowed per county, which is what by the national average, that's, they say we need 3% uh, of our land in order to, um, to, to satisfy the solar and wind needs. 
And so we figure if we give them 2% and they use uh, brown ground or commercial roofs or whatever, they can they can reach that 3% other, that 1% another way. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's Kent Hayden's bill. And he's our representative here in Callaway. Uh, and the um, third thing that he has in his bill is that 75% of the panels used be made in America so that we're sure that they're being followed by federal regulations uh, for safety issues and, and manufacturing, and uh, they're not being made by slave labor and you know all kinds of issues. So House Bill 2651. Okay. Then we have um, one by Senator Fitzwater, and again, he is our representative. And I have a note here so I can see. His bill is uh, bill number SB 892, and his bill, uh, calls for the 37.5% taxation, commercial taxation. If a concrete company came into our county and built a big concrete plant, they would pay commercial rates, 100% of commercial property tax. Mm -hmm. um, the solar wants it for free. We're asking for 37.5% of what other companies pay uh, commercial tax on. So, you know, that's a third. A third, and you know, and they're, they're they don't want to do that. Um, which the the Missouri Supreme Court last year ruled that solar must be taxed. Um, they were coming in and offering uh, communities PILTs, which is payment in lieu of taxes, uh, and then they were just going tax free. So they weren't they weren't paying property taxes. The Missouri Supreme Court said no, that that's not right. You have to pay something. So it's up to the Missouri legislature to decide how they're going to do that. And so for the last, you know, this is the second year, um, they didn't get any bills through last year. So we're starting again this year, hoping that we can get some bills through. So Senator Fitzwater's bill, again, asked for that same amount of tax as, as Dr. Hayden's bill. Uh, but he has, instead of putting in the 2% and the 75% uh, Made in America panel requirements, he has put in a stipulation that gives our commissioners the right, uh, commissioners in counties without planning and zoning, the right to approve or reject or regulate solar as they see fit. Now, the, the benefit of that is that when the state endorses a commissioner to have a job and do a job, then they have more freedom from lawsuits from solar companies. Uh, solar companies have targeted uh, counties without planning and zoning because they can bully their commissioners into being afraid of being sued by them. And they have $1,000 an hour lawyers that they can use. And, you know, we've got little stringy budgets here that uh, they're trying to save. So uh, they they kind of bully them um, into being afraid. Planning and zoning is not run that way. It's run by the people and the people let the planning and zoning know what they want. And then the planning and zoning take care of it. So, um, there are 114 counties in the state of Missouri. 72 of them do not have planning and zoning. And guess what? They're the rural counties. Mm -hmm. So the counties in the cities, towns, they have planning and zoning. So they, they, they're pretty safe. And so you hardly ever see a solar company trying to come where there's planning and zoning. Mm -hmm. They're going to look for the, the, the countries that cap, uh, the counties that don't have it because they can, they, they can come easier. Hmm. Interesting. So, so that so those are are two of the solar taxation bills. Now, there's also a 
uh, a couple of bills out there, uh, one by Senator Hafner, uh, I mean, House Representative Hafner, um, and he lives over by Clay County, and it is Bill HB uh, 1750. And mm -hmm. then uh, Senator Bernscotter uh, from Jeff Jefferson City has the same bill on the Senate side, and his bill is Senate Bill 934. Um, these bills uh, limit the transmission lines uh, to where they cannot use eminent domain to transmit wind or solar. Mm -hmm. So they, they can be built, but they have the people have to willingly sell them their land. And uh, we're dealing with Grain Belt, and, and Grain Belt had 100%, I would say maybe 98% of the people that ended up having to give them eminent domain on their land went ahead and settled. I mean, 98% did not want it, but they were afraid of condemnation. And um, if you if you let your property go into condemnation so that they fight the eminent domain and you lose, then you lose what they offer you uh, in mon monetarily. So it's a big gamble. Um, but uh, I've listened to hundreds, literally hundreds of people testifying at the Public Service Commission uh, meetings about the um, the way they've had to give up their land. And um, the Grain Belt, for instance, is a considered a public utility, but it is a for-profit company. And I don't believe that for-profit companies should have the right to eminent domain. When it's for the people, uh, like when MoDOT has to make a road because they've got people that need to get through somewhere, that is by the people, tax money. MoDOT doesn't make money. They don't have investors where they pay them. Uh, when the uh, um, electric co-op that is here in Callaway County has to cross a land, they're not making any money on that. They're going to do it as cheap as they can, as easy as they can. They try to work with you, but they, they, they use eminent domain, but they are not a for-profit company, and they are owned by their customers. So if we don't like what they're doing, we can you know go to the board members and we make a change. So it's still about the people. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I just don't believe that eminent domain is defined appropriately. And I don't believe that Ameren is a public utility. It has investors and it pays investors and it makes a profit. Um, so I, I think that that needs to be redefined. So uh, anyway, Representative Hafner and uh, Senator Bernsketter both have bills out at least to limit eminent domain on the wind and solar. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's not, um, you know, Ameren, Ameren uh, transmits many, many different kinds of energy. So I'm not sure how that will work. But um, but Grain Belt, for instance, it transmits 100 percent wind and solar. That was what it was built for. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not saying they're going to transmit any nuclear or coal or anything other than just the wind and solar. So that those bills would would stop that eminent domain and and people just losing their land. So those are those are um, and then and, and there's 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 so many bills out there. I mean I don't even know which ones to tell you about. There's three bills um, trying to exempt the solar companies from sales tax, and of course we're fighting those because they're a company. We believe they should be taxed like any other company that would come into our 
County. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, this, uh, these, these other bills where they're trying to exempt them from the sales tax of things that they buy, that's, again, that's just taking money away from our county. Um, the sales tax is used to run our county. Um, that's going to penalize us a great deal. Um, so that's that's not good. Uh, there's two bills out um, on um, increasing the percentage of green energy that's required. The federal government has stipulated that uh, you have to add X number of green energy every year until the 2050. And um, right now it's at 15%. And then eventually it goes up by 2050. We should have 60% of our energy provided by solar and wind and uh, you know something that's green energy. Mm -hmm. um, and these bills are increasing that faster so that it'll be more like by the time 2050 comes, it'll be 80%. Mm -hmm. we, we can't go, we can't go that fast. There's too many things happening. The, the turbines are catching on fire. They're falling. They're slinging plastic everywhere. When it uh, is cold and the wind blows, they crack. The solar panels, you know, there's fire, there's uh, tornadoes, there's hail i mean if we'd had the solar uh, panels built here when we had that big hailstorm last year every single one of those panels would have been cracked open which leaves them open to the chemicals which are inside the solar panels uh, which are solid they're solid materials but if you crack one and then a heavy rain comes it washes that chemical those chemicals out and those are toxic chemicals two of them are what they call forever chemicals if they get into your soil or into your water, they stay forever. So we have a lot of adjoining properties that have ponds. We have uh, people who have deep wells. So there's a lot of concern about what if a tornado hit or a, a, a hailstorm and all those panels were, were broken and then that leached out and went into our water systems. So, um, and the soil, you know, it, with the drainage, with the water drainage problems that solar panel farms have it's it's a big job to keep the drainage off of your land if you are right up against them so uh, on the north side of my place where my son lives the water runs off of the where the solar field is going to be water runs off of that right now in in through his yard and down into his lake um, and the farmer behind him has the same problem in another spot that the solar it's the same field mm -hmm. um, and we fought that for years and of course we had a good neighbor and he but, um you know he tried to stop it he you know put in water tiles and you tried to build a berm there, it, it just eroded away. So, you know, we knew he was trying and we let him do that, but it was, yeah, it was a difficult uh, situation. And it, it's going to, it's going to become very difficult when mm -hmm. the, the solar panels come. It would take hours for me to tell you right, uh, about all the different problems that uh, solar can cause to health and, and safety and land and water and, <laughs> communities solar solar doesn't do things well for communities because people get split and that's what's happened to our community we had a very tight-knit uh cooperative community we did projects together um you know we have community club we have all of these uh things in our neighborhood and um the the clubs are almost non-functional now um a lot of people stopped coming because they didn't want to deal with so-and-so who was on the other side. And, you know, um, 
the there are families that are split over this. I know of one, two, two particular families that the cousins are not speaking. Uh, there's no more family reunions because one is leased the land and the other one is a farmer and he cares for his land and it's too close to his cousin's land. Um, so it's it's split the community and it's split families. And um, that's that's very sad. Mm -hmm. That's very sad. And the solar companies have made no And that was a conversation with Susan Burns, a founder of Mid-Missouri Landowners Alliance, an organization working to regulate the solar industry as it enters rural communities. You can learn more from the Alliance website at mosaysno.com. All one word, Mo Says No. This is Margo McMillan, reminding you that Farm and Fiddle airs on Wednesday evenings from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time on KOPN 89.5 FM in Missouri and KOPN.org on the World Wide Web. Other podcasts for February 2024 are with activist James Owen, Executive Director of Renew Missouri, working for renewable energy, Melissa Vatterot of Missouri Coalition for the Environment, working on water issues, and Tim Gibbons of Missouri Rural Crisis Center, working on issues affecting farmers who want to stay on the land. Thanks for listening.